welcome to this episode of the Let's Talk Preventative Healthcare podcast, brought to you by the Academy for Health Equity, Prevention and Wellbeing. The Academy has been developed in partnership with Betsy Cadwallader Health Board and is part funded by the Welsh Government. Hello everybody, welcome to today's episode. My name is Tracy O'Neill and I'm really happy today to introduce you to this episode that's all about patient safety. I'm joined today by Dr. Chris Subi, who's a consultant in acute respiratory and intensive care medicine at Betsy Cadwallader University Health Board, and he's also a lecturer at Bangor University. So very welcome to you, Chris. Hi, it's it's lovely to be back on this podcast, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, yes, yeah, wonderful to have you back. And I'm really interested in today's episode about patient safety. But maybe for our listeners that, you know, didn't get a chance to listen to your episode on health equity, would you start just by telling everybody a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. I'm, I'm a clinician. I work uh, at the local hospital at the Spitty Gwyneth in Bangor uh, in acute medicine, and I do some research. And the thing that most people know about me is, and we published a paper in 2001 about something that's called an early warning score, which is a tool that summarizes vital signs like heart rate and breathing rate and temperature into something like in a single figure, and that then can then be communicated. And that became very successful in the NHS. And so that's what I'm most known for. And on that point, that that score, it's used around the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's used around the world, really. So it became eventually the National Early Warning Score, and I was involved a bit in uh, shaping that. And yeah, it's been used in many countries in Northern Europe, in the US, uh, in parts of Asia. And it really traveled very far. It became the National Early Warning Score eventually in 2012, and I was a bit involved in shaping that. And then um, it became policy in the UK, and then it started to travel to Ireland, to many countries in Northern Europe, the US. And lots of people are using it. And if you use it well, then it probably helps teams to reduce cardiac arrests and uh, death from sepsis and other things. That's fantastic. That's really, really amazing. And you've been heavily involved with with patient safety, haven't you, at Spotty Gwynedd? There's a particular program, um, Call for Concern program. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, the, the Call for Concern program came really um, as a result of a long series of conversations. So in 2018, we had a conference in Manchester where we thought, if you got a hospital and you want to know whether it's safe, how would you know? How do you know that the hospital that you go in is safe? And 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 how does how does the hospital focus on patients? And do you know whether that's working? And so we came up with this thing saying. Hospitals should have a mechanism that patients can escalate their concerns directly to a clinician. And there was uh, somebody called Helen Haskell, who's a very senior patient advocate, who had done this uh, after the death of her son, Louis Blackwell, in the US, and it's called Patient Activated Rapid Response. And uh, so we started thinking about this, and then I introduced Mandy O'Dell from Reading, to Bangor and she came and gave us a presentation and she's been using this system of patient activated rapid response or she called it call for concern in her hospital. So if a patient is worried, they can ring the critical care outreach team and then uh, a very senior member of the nursing team will come and assess them and, and support them. And so we started in 2022 to run this uh, in our own hospital uh, based really on, on Helen Haskell's inspiration and Mandy O'Dell's model. That's that's fantastic. And and how is that linked then to Martha's Rule? Is that linked? Um, yeah, Martha's Rule um, is something that's uh, only from last year. Um, Martha Mills uh, 
was a 13-year-old girl who died after holiday in North Wales in a London teaching hospital in 2021 in circumstances that were really quite regrettable, missed opportunities to escalate to intensive care. And so her parents uh, ran a very passionate and focused campaign on how can we improve on this. And uh, so the Patient Safety Commissioner, Henrietta Hughes, published in October this letter to the then um, Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Stephen Barclay, to say people should have this opportunity to escalate to critical care outreach teams 24-7. So really the, the call for confirm model. And um, and you might or might know, know this already, but there is a little Welsh anecdote if if I've got two minutes to to tell this. I can tell yes, this. Please, yeah. So this this all well, I don't know whether it all started in Bumaris, but we certainly had had a, a workshop just at the beginning as COVID was coming up in Bumaris. And we were having a, a conference type of thing uh, about how do we know that it's good for a hospital for the money side of things to be actually safer. And we had a guest from London, Sue Trunker, who was the then Deputy Chief Nursing Officer for NHS England. And during the day, we worked on this. In the evening, we would cook together and we would discuss stuff. and. We talked with Sue about this patient-activated droplet response, and she went back to London and then set up a working group called Worry and Concern uh, at NHS England to discuss how this type of system might work in NHS England. And then obviously we all know that what happened, COVID came, and so all things slowed down a bit. But when Henrietta Hughes wrote to Steve Barclay, there was a big scramble to saying, who knows anything about those systems? And this working group was running. It had started piloting those type of models in a number of English hospitals. And, and that became very important for designing this concept for Martha's rule. Uh, so, so you know, I, I would claim that it started in North Wales and maybe maybe I'm overstretching it slightly. But, but certainly, I think we've been involved in this process of spreading this idea that patients are really important in raising concern and that they need to have the tools to do that. Absolutely. It's crucial, isn't it, that they're aware. So for a patient maybe listening to this now, what, what does that involve? You know, what are they allowed to do exactly? Yeah, so, so the way that this works in our institution, and it might work slightly differently in others, but there is a telephone number that you call uh, for this, and it goes in our institutions through switchboard and some other institution, it goes straight to a, a mobile handset. And Switchboard knows then how to get hold of somebody with critical care experience or the critical care outreach nurses. So these are really senior nurses. They go over the wards. They look for patients who are unwell. They help to stabilize them. They can put cannulas in. They can uh, give oxygen. They can prescribe antibiotics. And they can also activate who else in the hospital is needed. And that might be a consultant from intensive care or it might be somebody who does an X-ray. Uh, and so the patient has got this opportunity to directly speak to them. They get then assessed. And I think it's important to say that it's often not the patient is often the next of kin. It's often somebody who knows that person really well, who feels passionately about their safety and who spotted something that maybe healthcare teams missed. So I call it sometimes the 999 in hospital, but it's not the 999 number. I would like to have a number that's the same in every hospital in the UK. But So it's usually a switchboard type of number or a special telephone number that people call. That's fantastic, isn't it? And I, and I guess it's even more important nowadays um, because we know that there's an awful lot of strain in hospitals and, and we know that there's, yeah. there's understaffing and 
Um, and to have this, you know, it's 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 so good and, and enable patients to get involved and to be able to do that. But it will also mm. help the staff, won't it? Yeah, no, I do think it it helps the staff. And there's sometimes concern that staff will feel that they're undermined when somebody calls for help. But I would see this very differently. I think, you know, if if I'm honest, I, I do a lot of good work, but I make errors. And I'm very grateful for everybody who helps me to find those errors before they got adverse consequences. And that's, you know, sometimes uh, staff on my team and those occasionally my students, nurses that work with me, consultant colleagues, but equally patients and relatives. And, you know, we, but patients now have got such complicated histories and they've been uh, through a lot by the time that they get admitted to hospital and they're on so many medications and and so to to have that oversight as a clinician is often really difficult. And so that's where patients can really help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how important do you think it is to get patients involved in 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 their care and have that you know um, be involved in that decision making process as well? How important do you think that is? I, I think that that is really important. And in the end, the care is about the patients. And so some of it is about setting priorities because not for everybody. So our assumption is always everybody wants a long life. And that might be true for a lot of people. That might be the top priority, but often it's about comfort or it's about being with family at home. And so whatever treatment is best for that might be better. And you know, so different people have got different things that they're worried about and that they prefer not to have. So unless we work closely with patients, we can't actually get this bit right. Um and listening to patients' needs and their wants and mm. how they want the process to go as well. Yeah. And it's often quite difficult. You know, if you look at records, um, they're often not well documented. So I think uh, that our tendency as healthcare professionals is to look at the pathology. Oh, so this is an infection with streptococcus pneumonia. And so therefore it needs that antibiotic. But that's only one aspect of, of healthcare, isn't it? Uh. Yeah, of course. And then it's the, the other side as well is, is why people get these conditions. Mm. And, and that, that's a, you know, a, a completely different area, but they're linked, aren't they? And that, you know, goes into the role then of prevention as well. And, and some people yeah. that you've been involved with at the Academy in Bangor. I mean, how do you think these things do link together? Um, so my hope is that if a patient is well informed and is used to using all the systems and the information that they're more likely to flag up things that are uh, potentially harmful. Now, this is one of the big challenges for Martha's rule, because we know that patients are often quite cautious to come forward with things. And so we've done a bit of work uh, at the beginning of last year where we interviewed patients and they often think, Oh, you know, what will the nurse think if I flag this up, you know, and will they think that we're undermining them? And so that's where another part of this system comes in, um, where Henrietta Hughes has suggested um, that we should ask patients regularly about their well-being and they should have a way to document this into records. And uh, so how that's best done, I think it's not quite clear yet, but that's definitely... A routine procedure. So I don't know whether you do you write a diary. Have you got a diary? Uh, you know, so it's a bit like you know having a diary. So if you do that every day, you're used to writing things down, and you'll probably write all the important things down as well as some things that are not so important, and it's all there. But if you've never done a diary, then I don't know. 
you know so so it's a bit like that you know so can we ask patients to do something that becomes routine of their if you wish work in hospital yeah i i, I can imagine i mean these things have certainly been done in research where we've asked people to mm. keep diaries and we keep records yeah like you say, it's really important to have that information, isn't it? Mm. Um, and, and and touching on, you know, them being involved in that decision-making process. I know some of the research that I've done in the past, you know, crucial for this, I think, is is building those good relationships, isn't it? So that they feel yeah. safe and and it's it's and it's so it's important to get that doctor-patient relationship and not just doctor, you know, all, mm. all of the um the care staff to have that relationship. Yeah. Have that and there's right. a question, you know, if you would have regular conversation about certain topics whether that, you know, would help to build that um, that trust. And I had an interesting uh, conversation this morning with a colleague uh, from the academy um, talking about tasks. A lot of things that we do in healthcare at the moment are task-driven. That thing needs to happen, so we're sending somebody in who does that thing. But that doesn't help necessarily to establish the relationships. And we fragmented, so there is a nurse assistant, there's a student nurse, there's the registered nurse, and, you know, all these people are doing different things. Whereas, you know, in the past, you might have had only one person who does all these things. And therefore, you spend more time with them. And therefore, you've got more trust. And it's interesting. So I worked in my military service as a nursing assistant, and I spent hours and hours with patients, especially patients who are a bit more frail, and they'd help with washing and dressing and stuff. And you talk about so much stuff and and you start to develop a real relationship and they become a bit like like friends. And so they might tell you some more personal things in. And and I'm that is probably something that's up. really important, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And and stepping forward if they think that, you know, especially a family member, if they think that um their child or you know somebody's is is going downhill and you know it's that mm. having that confidence and feeling safe enough yeah. to go to a clinician or to, to call this number um, mm. so it is about building those good relationships isn't it and i think you're touching on something really interesting so the child uh um i think you know pediatricians so doctors who look after kids will routinely ask the parents have you noticed anything you know is the child behaving any different from when they're well? And that's accepted. But, you know, once you're 18, for some reason, that stops. But it's still the same, isn't it? That, you know, we behave differently when we're ill and those around us know this. And so a lot of this patient-activated rapid response has come after severe incidents with children. And actually a lot of the so model services in the US and in Australia are pediatric services. So they have enshrined this first into their rules that after incidents with kids. Uh, so yeah, that we can definitely learn from children's doctors and nurses, I think, in that respect. I completely agree. Yeah. Whenever I had to go to the hospital with my my daughter had her tonsils out and mm. they're just fantastic. They they've built a whole system, haven't they, around mm. understanding that the levels of communication are going to be different. Mm. So that you have to build those relationships, you have to build those safe environments, you have to build that trust that's not always done through conversation. Mm. Yeah, to routines. Yeah, and contact and, time. Yeah. Mm. So we can learn an awful lot, can't we? Um, mm. About how to change our services so that they're more 
you know, we use this word patient-centered, don't we? And we use these words user-friendly and accessibility and things like that. But what does that really mean? Yeah. And I think, and we've touched before, haven't we, Chris? And we've talked about how we design services. Yeah. yeah. So that they're human-centered design, aren't they? Rather yeah. than, you know, the design that people want rather than we as, you know, we don't the, want to use the that process and task driven uh, yeah. things, you know. And uh, I mean, the, the, I guess the devil is always in the detail. And there's the temptation that if you split processes up, you might maybe be able to make them slightly faster and cheaper. Uh, but you lose the grit uh, that holds care together and you lose, yeah, the relationships that help you to find a safety issue um, that you would otherwise have missed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, building these relationships is really important. Well, so what what do you think on that point then? You know, what do you think are some of the barriers then that stop us? I mean, I think we probably know them, but I mean, there's definitely a staff shortage. That's a, a, a huge mm. problem, isn't it? That we don't. Yeah, have- and I mean that's that's something that people have been worried about with with Martha's rule that you know everybody's going to start raising the alarm and there won't be enough staff. Now, uh, we've got data. Um, Mandy O'Dell, who's in the UK, been sort of the pioneer in this field, has published data. The number of patients who come forward is actually very small, um, for some of the reasons that we've just discussed. So we're at the moment seeing about two calls a week. Uh, so that's in terms of workload, that's not a lot. And um, and we're seeing patients who've got um, problems with acute medical problems. And we've got patients or families where communication has broken down. And, you know, I'd even argue that both of those groups uh, are a very beneficial user of our time because repairing those relationships is absolutely crucial for having a a trusting relationship going forward and being able to keep people safe. And if they don't trust their clinical team anymore, then I think uh, we can often help some of the healing of relationships. And so this is an, a side effect, if you wish, of uh, the work that will come out of Martha's group, but probably a wanted side effect. Mm. Um, and and some of the more traditional role understandings of doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals might struggle with this giving patients access to a tool that previously was reserved to healthcare professionals allowing them to get somebody from intensive care um but i think in due time i'm, I'm sure this will become normal and mm-hmm. as as so many other changes in healthcare have become normal and i remember when we introduced critical care outreach services in the early 2000s that people were up in arms that you would call somebody from critical care about a patient that's already under another team and now most teams certainly in the uk where this is a, a common care model wouldn't know how to keep the hospital safe without them so so you know within you know 15 20 years that's completely changed so I, I would expect something similar and and that will people's beliefs and behaviors will have to adapt i think and will adapt to to do this now another barrier is is access to having the right information and so at the moment we've got often paper-based records still in some parts of the health service and even when we've got electronic records we often got records that only cover one service and not another and i think it would be usually beneficial if patients would have access to those and and everybody would have access to everything i think that would probably lower the barriers to this so if you got the right information that will disperse some 
concerns and some worries, but it'll also allow you to make good calls, you know, to to add value. Yeah. Yeah. So access to information is, is so important, isn't it? And um it's having those systems in place. Mm. Um, and thinking, you know, the design of those systems is crucial, but then just having those systems and, you know, and I think having worked a little bit in private and and worked in other areas, you know, I, I can see how we're lacking an awful lot, aren't we, compared mm. to other industries and how they work when they seem to just have those systems all very clearly mm. um, in place. We're, we're lacking, aren't we? Definitely. It's a very complex industry, healthcare, isn't it? And yeah. and one with a lot of history and that makes change uh harder probably yes and it's complex isn't it there's mm, a, an mm. awful lot involved but thinking through those ser- services and thinking through the care pathway and thinking through the patient's experience and all of those steps along the way is is paramount really to getting it right isn't it yeah and 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 seeing patients as one part of the team with all the other parts of the team i think is 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 probably going to be crucial to get better services. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, hospitals are so busy at the moment and the health service is so overstretched. That obviously means that we will use patients more to help us with the things that they might be able to help us. And and so I think that's probably something that will help everybody. Yeah, yeah. That get, that that's just a fact of life, isn't it, that we're so overstretched now? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the more that we can get people involved. So how do you see all this going forward then? I mean, I know that you're developing some workshops around this and patient safety, aren't you? You want to talk about them? Uh, yeah, so we've got a couple of workshops coming up um, to to see where this is going. Uh, the first one is is one that's primarily aimed at uh, healthcare professionals. So that's on the um, 29th of February, where we're having a webinar uh about critical care services how they will implement this and then in april we got on the 24th of april patient powered safety which is an annual event where we're looking at a a more active role of patients in their own safety and so we will have uh, a whole session on there and henrietta hughes is going to speak and there'll be some patient representatives and then i think on the 26th we'll have a workshop in person in north wales to see how hospitals might do this and how teams do this that haven't got a 24-7 critical care outreach uh, service, which at the moment seems to be the model that's being suggested, but smaller hospitals might struggle with this. So we'll design with healthcare staff alternative versions of allowing patients access to somebody really senior who's got the right skills, and we need to do a bit of thinking about this. So I think those are so very much next steps. and. Then at the research front, we've uh, just put a grant application in to see whether we can build these regular questions about patients. Are you feeling better um, or are you feeling worse into our electronic monitoring system? So in the same uh, process, when nurses are taking blood pressure and a heart rate, they will ask these questions and we'll see how much they uh, interact and how much they help us to understand if patients are not improving with the treatments that we've thought were good treatments and when we need to change tack. Sounds fantastic. So just for, our, for um, just as we're finishing up for our listeners, then if they want to get in touch or to attend some of these uh, workshops that you're doing, how would they go about that? Uh, so the workshops are all on Eventbrite. Uh, I think that's uh, not a plug. Um, that's eventbrite.co.uk. Um, 
if you look on there and you put my name in, Chris Subi, S-U-B-B-E, I think that probably comes up very quickly or patient safety um, as a tag, or, you know, just email us uh, at the Academy. And yeah. my email is very easy to find, but it's c.subi at bango.ac.uk. No, fantastic. Because I'm sure people listening may, may want to attend because some are some are face to face, but some are online too, aren't they? And you've got That's webinars, correct. yeah. And are yeah. they interested in finding more about this? Because it, it's all quite recent, isn't it, Martha's rules? So I think people are still finding ways to implement it. But yeah. it seems such a huge step forward in the area yeah, and safety. and it's, it's very recent. And in fact, it, it might get uh, even more acute because we're expecting policy announcement in the next few uh, days or weeks. Uh, and so this will probably become very topical and it would it'd be lovely to to hear f- how more people are trying to think about this and, and use this and maybe help to improve it because I'm sure it's still got some flaws that we need to uh, identify and improve on. So uh, it'd be lovely if people would get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure going forward, we'll hear some positive stories that come out of it too. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Of how it's Fingers helped. crossed. Yeah, that's what we like. Well, thank you so much for our conversation, Chris. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.